This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Gaston from Hickeys.com explained how he set up his business so that it could quickly scale to 50 countries. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that turned his hobby into a business that's doubled in growth every single year. In this episode, you'll learn how to find out if your hobby is worth turning into a business, how to stay disciplined in your business spending, and how to make sure you're not burning yourself out from running a business with a day job. Today, I'm joined by Jeremy Mason from Craft and Mason Coffee, which is at craftandmason.com. Craft and Mason Coffee is a small roasting company out of Lansing, Michigan that combines an intense passion for coffee with Midwestern hospitality and was started in 2013. Welcome, Jeremy. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Excited to have you on. So tell us more about your about your store and what are some of the, tell us more about the coffee that you sell. Yeah, we, we sell specialty coffee. So from the very beginning, um, we kind of wanted that to be our focus. And uh, we started back in 2013. Um, you know, really for us, it started, I was at a, uh, a beer fest called Dark Lord Day for any uh, craft beer fans. And uh, I was not a coffee drinker at the time. Uh, but there was a little cart in the parking lot there, made my way across the parking lot and ordered a drink. And I, I didn't really have any idea what to order, uh, but I ordered a cappuccino and there was just something very different about it. Um, and that was kind of the start of our journey. Mm-hmm. So specialty coffee, um, how, I guess how is this different than, I guess, the coffee you'd get if you go into like a typical uh, you know, coffee chain? Well, specialty coffee, like any product, um, you know, you can almost compare it to wine or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a process, um, you know, coffee cherries grow on a coffee plant, um, and that's how it starts. So depending on how you grow the coffee cherry, uh, depending on how you pick the coffee cherry, like peak of ripeness, um, like any fruit, um, it'll have a difference in sweetness and just how it's composed, what's, you know, what you can get back out of it. And then from there, you know, you need to remove the fruit somehow and process the bean. So all of those things play a huge role. Uh, that's why you might notice, you know, in a lot of specialty coffee, people refer back to the farmer a lot. Um, that's because they're putting an intense amount of work into uh, creating the coffee and farming it a very specific way. Um, you know, it, it takes almost, you, know, you need to pick 2,000 coffee cherries um, to get a pound of coffee. And a lot of coffee is picked by hand um, and, and ideally at peak of ripeness. Um, so those types of details are incredibly labor intensive. Um, it's not by mistake. Um, and by the time we get it, you know, depending on all those factors, even elevation, the varietal, obviously the country comes into play. Uh, and then picking, processing, each of those things, you know, they need to dry it to a certain moisture level, um, ship it properly. You know, that really gives us a product. By the time we get it to our roaster, that's what we have to work with. Um, and so the, the role of the farmer, I mean, if you don't have them at farm level doing that incredibly laborsome work, um, you know, you don't have much to work with on the other side. Um, so that's why the focus is given, you know, you might notice it on some specialty coffee packages, there's a lot of detail there and, you know, you might not care about it, you might care about it, but those are the things that roasters are looking at and we look at, um, because we know when we get that product, you know, we're really hoping we put it in the roaster and you get something pretty special back out of it. Mm-hmm. So how did you learn all about this? Like, was this something that you, because it sounded like you discovered specialty coffee at this uh, this event and did you just kind of just dive right into it? How did you, what was like the next step, I guess? Like, what was your progression towards actually turning your kind of new passion into an actual business? Yeah, so it started with that cup of coffee and I asked the question, you know, this is different because I just didn't like coffee before. I mean, it, it turned my stomach. There was just something about it I didn't like, and this was very different. So, you know, I was very interested in why it was different. Um, so from there, I just I started asking that question: Why is this different? Who else does this? You know, it was Intelligentsia at the time that was roasting the coffee. Um, what's different about them? How did they start? How are they? You know, 
How are they sourcing beans? How are they roasting? And I knew nothing back then, um, which quickly got me into, first of all, visiting places. You know, I might go to a different state or a different city and I'd look up and I started to learn specialty coffee. So there's a lot of people doing kind of the focus I just talked about. Um, and so I, I started learning, you know, where other roasters, how are they doing it? And then I figured out you could buy like a, and you could find these, um, I don't know exactly when they were from 1970s, 1980s popcorn roasters. And it was a really specific model. Um, and there's a site called Sweet Maria's and they, they still operate to this day. They, they do a great job. Um, but Sweet Maria's, it's something really, um, specific. They cater to home roasters. And so I found one of these popcorn roasters and I figured out you could do it in your house, you know, in your basement. And I started going on Sweet Maria's and Sweet Maria's would, um, list all the details I just talked about. And they would talk about how the coffee tastes. You could buy in small amounts is a really unique thing that they did. Um, but all the coffee was specialty and it was, um, it was really good stuff. And that was their focus was kind of bringing that to the people that wanted it. So I started roasting those lots, you know, I'd go on Sweet Maria's, I'd, I'd study the lots, I'd make my selections. They showed me the coffee and then I'd roast it in, you know, really tiny little batches on this little popcorn roaster. Um, but that was, you know, as I just continued to do that, um, it's actually how, uh, my business partner and I started talking about it because he started home roasting too. I kind of told him at some point, this is really cool. He got into it. Um, and we were both roasting together for a while. Um, just cause it was really fun, kind of a hobby at that point. Um, but it was really interesting. Um, and so that was, and then we were talking about it together and eventually it was, you know, there's specialty roasters in other cities. Um, there didn't seem to be that focus, you know, just strictly on specialty or the way that we thought would be fun. Um, to kind of present coffee in our city at the time. And so we said, you know, we'd love to bring this to our city. Um, and that was kind of the initial idea. Um, and that was also kind of our, our early education, um, into specialty coffee. And then as we got more serious, um, you know, you, you kind of just, you, these are the types of things that you got to teach yourself and specialty coffee was, um, even in the last five years, I would say it's changed a lot. Um, but the resources at the time were, there just wasn't much. Um, even on the internet, you, you couldn't find a lot about commercial roasting. You could find some about home roasting. So we would scour the internet, you know, we'd read any article we could. Actually, since we opened, there's been a number of books that have come out. Um, they're very helpful. But at that point, the education was, you know, put beans in the roaster, um, roast them to a specific curve because we kind of track heat along a curve all the way um, and taste it. And you know, it's kind of up to you to taste the coffee and say, these are the things wrong with it. How do we fix it? Um, and so that was kind of the beginning of our education. And we, we did a lot of that before we opened. Um, and we still do it all the time now. But, you know, I think um, early on, that was kind of how we learned. So what, what's your background? What's your, your background, your partner's background? Have you guys launched businesses or done any entrepreneurial things in the past? Um, not much, to be honest, uh, as far as doing business. I'm a financial consultant by day, and I still am, and I love that job. Um, and Eric's done a lot of construction in the past. Um, he's also done rental houses and things like that, and he still loves his job. Um, so this for us was, um, it was more about the passion of the product than, you know, how much money can we make? Um, but obviously at some point with every business, you got to ask, you know, how do we also make money with this mm-hmm. thing that we love doing? So those are, you know, those are questions you need to work through. I um, mean, we figured that out, um, but we had never done, we never done a, a ton of, side businesses like that. It was just, um, you know, specialty coffee was kind of in a really unique place. Um, you know, if depending on what city you're in, you've probably seen specialty coffee shops pop up over the last five to 10 years. Um, but some of that is newer and, you know, it's been happening for a while, but you know, there's certain pockets of the country that didn't exist. And so this for us was, it was something unique and it was kind of a unique time of specialty coffee. And so that was really the, um, the reason we got it going. And then just, like I said, there wasn't a ton in our city going on at the time. I um, mean, even, you know, since then it's grown. Yeah, let's talk about this idea or this um, process that you went through to determine how to actually turn this hobby into a profitable business because this is a stage that a lot of entrepreneurs 
get to where they have something they're super passionate about, have a hobby that they're interested in. And it's obviously a profitable industry because they see others doing it or, or others that are creating products in the space. So how did you sit down and decide, okay, how do I actually turn this thing that I've been doing at home for myself, maybe some friends and family, how do I turn this into an actual business? Like what, what did you, what was it like a process, like some numbers that you definitely uh, made sure to look at to determine if it was worth uh, expanding this beyond just a personal hobby? Yeah, I mean, the, the answer, the, you know, the answer is we did it very carefully because, you know, like I said, we both loved our jobs. We still do. Um, and so the question at the time was, you know, is there a way to kind of um, to start this business, maintain our day jobs and then just see where it goes? You know, from the beginning, and we're about three years in now, but it was, at the time it was, you know, we kind of had a three-year goal. And and to be honest, we didn't know exactly where it would go. Um, we didn't know um, where our opportunities were. And we also knew that, like I said, especially coffee was growing. So it was a really unique time. And I think at the time we thought, um, if there's a way to do this um, reasonably without a ton of upfront capital, um, and we can do, still do something we're really passionate about, you know, we might be a little bit ahead of the curve now. So I think something we understood about coffee, you know, that might be different than opening like a coffee shop or a retail outlet or something like that was it is a production process. Um, and the ideal thing there was we could um, kind of choose when we wanted that production process to happen. Um, and so that was kind of a key factor there. You know, everybody only has so much time. And we understood that the biggest thing we we're going to have to give up was our time. And we might put a bunch of time into this and it might not go anywhere. Um, luckily, that didn't happen because um, it has gone somewhere. We've had a lot of fun with that. Um, but we figured a way in the beginning to to sell online, first of all. And then, like I said, it's a production process. And we we kind of ran all the numbers. What is this actually going to cost to get everything up and going? You know, we needed a machine. Um, we needed to think about inventory. Uh, we needed a space that would be um, approved at some level, you know, by Department of Agriculture. Um, and so we started asking those questions and then we built, you know, what is this going to cost down to the dollar? Um, so we know that, uh, you know, from machines to space to everything else, how much inventory we're going to need and can we get this business up and running for X amount? And we figured we could. Um, and so that's what we did. Um, and Shopify, you know, for us was an integral part of that because, you know, how much does it cost to build a website with, with everything, um, a storefront back, you know, built, built into it that includes shipping and all the details that we needed to think through. Um, that was kind of, you know, we built the the way it looked, but it was all um, fairly simple for us to do. So that was a huge part. We said, what if we, you know, what if we, we know there's demand for this and people care about it. What if we could just start selling online and see what happened? Mm. You know, so that was the retail side of it. And then maybe someday we can get wholesale accounts and, and talk to coffee shops and things like that. Um, so that was kind of how we moved through the process um, over the course of probably six months to a year. And that was kind of how it all started. So how close were you to the numbers once you once it was all kind of the dust settled a little bit? And I asked because, again, this is another stage that entrepreneurs are at where they are, maybe their business is already live or maybe they're thinking about starting a business and we spend so much time kind of estimating, okay, if I get this percentage of the market and if I spend this much on the inventory, I can make it profitable, I can spend this much on advertising. We have all these numbers that we write down and some people you know, never kind of carry that any further than just looking at the numbers. So, but because you've ran the numbers and you've, you guys have been in business for three years, were, were there anything like, were you close to the numbers or was there anything that you underestimated? The one thing we, there was some unknowns. So everything we, we could know, we did know. And at some point we actually bought a roaster because we found a great deal on it. And it was like, are we going to do this? Are we not? And there were things we didn't know still, such as finding a space. Um, and that was a big question, you know, where are we going to do this at? Um, and it's something that for anybody thinking about doing a business, these are the type of questions, you know, the passion side of it, the fun side of it, you're going to figure out because you should be passionate about it if you're doing it. Um, but these types of questions early on, what kind of space am I going to have? How much are you going to pay in rent? How do I actually sell the product? You know, we knew we were going to be selling it online. So we determined pretty quickly, let's find a production space, but let's spend as little as humanly possible in the production space. Because our goal at the time was to roast really good coffee. Um, and so we wanted every dollar going to a, our coffee machine, which would, you know, produce high end coffee, 
And B, uh, we wanted to buy coffees that we liked. You know, we didn't want to be strapped by immediate expenses from day one. So that was something we didn't know. And as we got into it, we kind of figured out, you know, there's a lot of spaces that, that are not, just not going to work. And so eventually we found a very small production space uh, that we still have, actually. But, you know, next year we'll probably look at expanding um, because we can now and we really understand what we're going to sell and to who and how much profit and revenue we're going to make probably in a given year, we can project that pretty easily. But early on, you know, those numbers are hard, especially sales numbers. I mean, trying to predict from a brand new business, unless you know a lot, what you're going to sell, you know, is almost impossible. Um, and we were pretty, I think, pessimistic and realistic, I would say, which I, I think is a good thing. You know, when you're planning through this, um, be as, you know, it, don't let it stop you from opening the business. Well, sometimes it probably should stop you. but be really pessimistic on your sales numbers. Um, I think one of the things that we have asked ourselves from then until now with every decision we make, you know, especially with thinking about sales numbers is, you know, who exactly is going to buy this? Would I buy this and why would I buy it? And how much would I spend, you know, try and put yourself in the shoes of, you know, your potential customer and ask that question. And if you wouldn't buy it, then somebody else probably isn't going to either. Um, so it's figuring that out and, and is this makes sense? You know, is, is there a person where I actually buy this product and when I spend that much money? Yeah. These unknowns that you're talking about where the, the, obviously you can't know every single number before launching the business. And I, and I agree with you where, um, you know, sometimes you got to move forward anyway. Um, but sometimes this also holds people back from ever launching because of the fear of the unknown. They, if they don't know everything, they can't take the necessary steps. So what made you personally, you know, confident to continue to move forward, even though you didn't know every single answer or know every single, all the numbers that, that you know, for, for anything that you couldn't, I guess, estimate? Yeah, that's a good point. Because I think some people are too safe and they just can't ever actually follow through. And some people are probably reckless on the other side. They don't consider you know, realistically what's going to happen. So that's probably something to consider is what, you know, how do I think through these things? Maybe find someone who's opposite of you to help you think through it. When I said we found the roaster, it was, here's a roaster. We know it's a really good price. We've looked at the numbers. We don't know everything, but I think we have a pretty good idea. Um, and that actually was the thing that sort of pushed us forward. It was, you know, a roaster we bought from somebody else and we had to drive to a different state to get it. But we had to make that decision pretty quick. Um, and there's only so much you can figure out, you know, there's, and you, when you open a business, you, you plan as best as you possibly can. But like I said, there are timing things and things that you just can't know. And so sometimes you, you just, at least, you know, that, that you don't know the thing, but you've done your best job at taking a stab at it. And you just kind of have to move forward, even if you don't know, you know, every detail in that situation. So for mm -hmm. us, us, it was, you know, should we get this roaster or not? You know, you just, you know, kind of have to step in a direction and sort of trust that in general, you know, what's happening and you have done as much research as you can. And then, you know, we kind of figured it out after that. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, this roaster that you're talking about, this is like equipment. Yeah. It's a piece of equipment. So, you know, it's a coffee roaster and really it's, um, usually it's a barrel drum, um, with, you know, flame heating the bottom. Um, and for coffee roasters, that kind of is the thing, you know? So, it really makes a big difference. And, uh, for us, we knew that, um, but it's, you know, like anything else, making wine or brewing beer, it's, it comes down to your equipment and, and for coffee roasters, that's kind of your piece of equipment. It really makes a big difference. And how much does a, a roaster typically cost? Well, it totally depends because you can get, um, you know, little roasters and, and they all, there's all different sizes. There's all different, um, quality build. You know, you can get a roaster for 10000 or you can get a roaster for $200,000. Um, that's way bigger scale. But, yeah, I, you know, a commercial roaster, if you're looking at a really nice roaster, you know, you're probably looking more like, just depends, I guess, what size. But, um, you know, it might be anywhere from 20000 to $50,000. Mm. Um, or you can sometimes find used. But, you know, there's a lot of different um, quality and build and all that you have to take into consideration, too. Um, and so we actually bought a roaster and then, um, because we kind of kept our expenses low in the beginning, we upgraded, um, a year later and we have that roaster now, um, because we knew quality was really important. Um, and that was going to kind of be the thing to drive our business. So that was always our focus was pinch pennies as much as possible where we can buy really quality coffee. And then we had this goal of, you know, 
at some point we're probably going to want a new roaster. And so we did that and we'll probably, you know, next year or the year after we'll be thinking about that again from a production standpoint, um, with size and quality and things like that. So, yeah, so certainly not a, um, cheap, I guess, uh, investments for especially a begin, a new business or a, a business that you just started. So definitely sounded like, um, a big investment for you guys. So when you, you were saying earlier about how you need to be realistic about your business, about your business plan, do you, are there certain things that you see other entrepreneurs or that you hear about from other entrepreneurs that they might not be realistic about that maybe you want to, I guess, tell the audience to consider look taking a closer look at well you know every business is different um like i said for us it's been you know trying to put yourself in that place like if i walk into a store or if i go onto a website would i realistically buy this item and you have to be pessimistic you know if it in our case specialty coffee you know if you're selling a bag of coffee for 17 dollars, you know you understand that somebody can go to the store and and buy a bag for eight dollars so mm-hmm. why is somebody going to spend that much more for your product and you have to you really have to be diligent about answering those questions. Um, it can't just be because you just have to answer that question for yourself. Why would I buy this product? And I think we did believe in the product. We knew that there was just a major difference in how the coffee tastes and how it was perceived and how you can make it at home and freshness. Um, all those things were different than maybe the standard product you might buy somewhere else. And so we had to kind of line those things up against each other and say, um, what's the difference here? Um, but one, say, one thing I'll say as well is that early on in a business, I think it's easy to get lured into something that looks cool or feels cool or will be fun. Um, for us, it would have been a really cool space. You know, that would have been cool to have a space on street level, you know, that we could do tours and things like that and bring people in. Um, but it just wasn't a reality. And we knew that. We figured that out pretty quickly. Um, so that for us was a pretty big decision because it meant a pretty big difference in monthly rent, which would have meant we probably couldn't have bought the roaster we bought a year ago. Um, but those are things I think that are hard are, you know, you have to be really realistic and then trying to, you know, every dollar matters, especially the first year, um, you know, to try and we didn't need a great looking space. We just needed a production space. So we kind of, we kind of planned accordingly. Um, but there are a lot of things like that that are enticing, especially as a new business, um, that seem like a necessity. Um, but what's really going to drive the bottom line? What's really going to create, um, interest in your business? Um, what's really going to impact the quality, um, of the product? I think those questions are really important. And ultimately, you know, can we, this business going to last three, five, 10, 20, 50 years. And that first year is so crucial. I think if you can get going for, you know, as little money as possible, you can answer those questions a lot better, you know, after you've been a year in business. And maybe after a year, you say, you know, we really do need a space. We're doing better than expected, but maybe not. And so if there's a way to, um, you know, still do the business, work really hard at it, but give yourself an opportunity to learn some things along the way. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the first year teaches you so many different things about your skill sets, about what you're good at, about who's going to buy your products how much they're going to buy, how much you can charge. You know, you'll know those things after the first year, at least to some degree. And then at that point, maybe you can really dive in or, you know, make a a change too. And I was even reading your article today, you know, should you quit your day job? (laughs) That I think was, that's a really important thing to think through. That's something that I think a lot of people do is I have this passion. I want to start a business. I'm going to quit my job. Well, a lot of times you don't need to do that. You know, for us, it was, we knew we had time, even though it might be at night, um, we'd have to roast late on certain nights and handle, you know, building a website and reaching out to people and visiting spots and, and relationships, you know, at night or on weekends, but it made sense for us. Um, and that's still kind of our business model is we, you know, at some point we'll get a bigger roaster and we'll be able to do more production um, in the same amount of time. But should you quit your day job is a is a great question. I think a lot of times that's another thing, you know, the first year, if you don't have to quit your day job, you know, keep it because, you know, one of the biggest things you're going to need is money. And um, sometimes it's just, it's a small difference that, you know, can decide whether your business is going to make it or not. And I know for us, um, we've been, you know, as diligent as we can with pinching pennies. And the, the other thing is we haven't had to, you know, we've been able to fund our own growth um, because 
you know, we, as we grow, you need more coffee, um, and it needs to last you, you know, a couple months each time. So that number keeps growing. Um, so even, you know, I've heard people talk about, you know, growing a business broke, um, thinking in terms of what is it going to cost us to keep up with inventory costs? Um, can we afford that if we are spending X amount more on rents or if we, if we quit our day job six months too early? So those are all things to consider. They're not exactly the most fun parts to think about, but they will allow you to do the fun part longer and, and maybe be um, successful really long term if you kind of um, figure those things out up front. Mm. Yeah, I think um, one thing you were saying earlier about learning as you go, it's really, I think it's a really vital point because a lot of people do get held back because they think that, okay, I haven't learned everything yet, I haven't mastered everything yet, so I'm not ready to get started. Uh, but I think what you're saying is that there are some lessons, there are some things that you cannot learn just by reading or you know thinking about it. You actually have to do it, actually have to be in business for to learn those things because... Not, not, not even because it might not even be industry. It might not even be a general entrepreneurship things or general business things. It could be things specific about the way that you work or the way that your partner works or the way that your industry works. And these things you can't, you know, there's just not, not enough. There's no education out there that you can just get and download into your into your brain to to understand these things. You have to actually be in the game itself before you can understand uh, what you're missing and then you know learn how to to cover those areas. Uh, so one thing you. One Another thing you're saying, uh, talking about uh, a, a job, I think it's a, it's a important a topic too because you're in a situation where you do you don't need this business necessarily, right? Because you both have an income, you both have a job, and like you're saying, one of the key benefits of having a job is that you have the capital, you can fund your own growth. And this is kind of, I think, sometimes a gift and a curse. It seems like you guys are navigating it well, so I want to ask you this question, is that how do you make sure that you're not pouring so much money into the business from your own paychecks? Because again, you sound like you said you're penny pitching. And I think a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of businesses are able to penny pinch or are able to, I guess, uh, stay uh, really disciplined with that because they have no choice. They have to keep their business running. But again, you guys don't, it's not like you have a ton of money or a ton of investments or anything, but you do have a steady paycheck coming in. So how do you make sure that you're not overspending? Like how do you make sure you stay disciplined with your, with your spending for your business? Well, you know, we put money in initially, but one thing we tried to do from day one was, you know, put the money in and then we've tried to support our growth from actual sales from the business um, without, you know, at some point you need to take a loan or you need to have a cash infusion to buy a new piece of equipment or things like that. Um, but we kind of said from day one, we want to, you know, buy the equipment, start the business and then see if we can, from that initial investment try and grow our business on its own. So we've really funded uh, inventory. We started out pretty small, but we, you know, we doubled the second year and we, you know, we're on pace to double this year again. And so those inventory costs have been pretty big. You know, every time we buy beans, we're, we're shocked at how much it costs just because we're buying a lot more every time we buy. We, um, we wanted to do that. We wanted to grow the business kind of from revenue, from um, past sales. Um, and, you start to figure out that um, every dollar counts, especially when you're working really hard to, you know, to connect with people and to get your business going and to make those sales. Um, it really forces you to consider every tiny purchase because every dollar matters, especially in the first couple of years as you're getting going. So that has motivated us in a big way because um, we don't want to, you know, we think the business should be able to grow on its own um, and, and it's grown pretty quick from day one. Um, but because we've pinched pennies so much, it's allowed us to um, keep making those inventory purchases, even though um, they've gotten bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. And the other investment that you you mentioned, other than the um, that the paycheck that you you're getting from your day jobs, is your investment with your own time. How do you balance both the, a day job and a, a business that's obviously growing very quickly? How do you make sure that you are not burning yourself out from from doing both of the the, the day job and the business? Well, it's it's difficult to be honest. I mean, there's there's no way around that, and time is you know is incredibly valuable. I think everybody wishes they had more time. Um, so we had to figure that out. And one thing I did, you know, I mentioned I'm, um, financial consultant and I work with a team there. Um, and I, I sat down with them and just said, you know, what's realistic here, what's going to work. 
Um, and we really figured out from a time perspective, you know, we kind of mapped that all out as well. Um, and I knew, you know, that was a job I was going to be at every day. Um, but was there any flexibility there on certain days? Um, you know, if, you know, leaving at a certain time or things like that. Um, and so we kind of figured out what would it take, you know, how much can we roast an hour? How big of a machine do we need? Um, that's part of the question we're asking again is, do we need a bigger machine now? Because it's, you know, if it's a production process, we'd like to roast, if we can roast four times as much an hour and we can afford to get a new machine, that probably makes sense. Um, so those are some of the questions we asked. Um, and Eric had asked those same questions with um, his business and could he fit it in and when would we fit it in and what was realistic. Um, we try to be really realistic with that as well because, you know, that things like that, questions like that in, in any person's life can create a lot of stress. Um, and I think that stress, if you don't plan it out right, that stress can build to the point where you're either not enjoying the business or it's just not sustainable long-term. Um, so for us, it was a production process, you know, but every business, there's there's just things that you don't enjoy doing, you know, that, you know, you need to crunch numbers or do taxes or things like that. Um, and you got to build time in for that as well. So a lot, of, a lot of times it is, you know, you're doing something like that late at night or it's kind of random things. We, you know, we roast on Mondays a lot of the time. And so Wednesdays we, we give the coffee a day to rest and we're tasting it. And, you know, every day on the way to work, we'll, <laughs> we'll taste the coffee and we'll kind of rip our coffee apart and find every little thing about it that we don't like. And that's been part of our process from day one is being our own worst critic um, because we want our coffee to be really good, not just okay. Um, and so things like that, you know, a call on the way to, um, you know, once you get to work or before you leave or on the way or something like that is, you know, um, texting before you take off or it's just little things. And you have to get really creative at times to fit it all in. It can be pretty difficult. Um, but, you know, figuring that out, it, it is tough, but I think you can do it. And that's another thing that you just have to, you don't always know, but plan as best you can. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the the planning part is definitely key where not only are you planning out your next day, but actually try to figure out what is the routine that you can get into with your with your day job and your business that you can continually keep up. Because it's not just about how can I squeeze in time for my business tomorrow, it's about how can I do this consistently. And I think uh, you know doing things like tasting your coffee on the way to work is a great example of a way where you've worked your business into your daily routine and found a way to fit it in. Otherwise, you're just kind of like jumping from task to task too much and that kind of that will definitely speed up the the burnout just from switching between all those tasks um so now what about um separating those two worlds though because i think uh, a lot of times when there are um, entrepreneurs that are thinking or that are starting businesses on the side they are you know constantly thinking about their business about their actual passion when they're you know at their day job which i think is perfectly fine and probably you know a good thing that you are are you know so passionate about that you're thinking about it but then there's this dissonance that happens right because you're thinking about your business you're thinking about where you want to be in the future but you're still at your you know current day job how do you make sure or how do you handle i guess the the two different worlds and making sure they don't bleed into each other too much well for me i think you know the two i guess the two jobs sort of energize each other in some ways um you know working in finance, you know, you're working with a product that you can't see or touch or feel it, you know, it's there and you know, um, all the details about it and you're working with people. Um, and that's amazing, but that's very different than coffee. And so, uh, going, you know, coffee is a, is just a physical thing. You can see what's happening. You can actually touch the product kind of right there in front of you. Um, there's a, and you know, finance is just very detailed. Um, you need to know the numbers. You need to kind of dig into that. And coffee is as well, but in very different ways. Um, and so the two are different, um, different from each other, but they kind of, you know, when I do coffee, you know, that is a very, it's, it's a production process and you're there to, to roast the coffee. You know, it, it can feel like a long day at times. Um, and then going back to the other side, you know, there's certain things that I love about both and you don't take as much for granted from either because you kind of know you're kind of in both worlds at the same time. So that kind of, you know, recharges me in some ways. I think I love a lot of things about both and they're both actually so different from each other. You know, I like kind of switching back and forth. It, it kind of gives me motivation in both places um, to kind of move forward. 
Yeah, I think um, what you're getting at is that you aren't constantly thinking about your business, which is a good thing. You want that time off too so that you're not constantly obsessed and and worried especially about your business, especially when you are in a situation where you cannot actively work on it since you are at your day job. So yeah, I think the key there is to have that that kind of balance. Um, so you were mentioning earlier about how uh, the the you know the, the prices of your products and I'll list them here you know fifteen dollars up to seventeen dollars for uh, for your products um, and you're saying you know sometimes uh, there are people that are out there thinking like why would I buy such an expensive product when I can just go to my local store and get it for half the price uh, so how do you convince a visitor especially someone that might not have especially someone that has not tried your product for at all that it's worth paying you know practically double the the price uh, for your products? Well, it's a, that's a, a tough question. I think with specialty coffee, you know, a lot of people are asking that question, like, what is specialty coffee? And there's a lot of education there that, you know, for me, it was just, I don't know, I, I was very interested in it for some reason. And so it just made sense. I think I, I knew I didn't really like coffee until I tasted this other coffee. And so there was, there was a difference there for me. It was pretty obvious. Um, and then I'm the type of person that's just interested in that. You know, I, I had no idea that coffee cherries grew on a plant and then there was, you know, the coffee bean was inside and it was just something that fascinated me. And then, you know, just tasting it, having that kind of ritual in the morning. Um, and it's a, a product that's, you know, I think specialty coffee, it's a little different in that it's not, you know, it's not as much a, just a kind of standard, um, commodity type product where, uh, it tastes the same every time. Um, it actually, you know, it can taste, coffees will taste totally different from each other, depending on all the things I mentioned from where it was grown and when it was picked and how fresh it is. And and then the roaster, of course, plays a major role in that as well. Um, so there's, there's some education there. And to be honest, one thing we, you know, one thing that we haven't done as much that we'd like to, because we don't have a lot of time, it's just interacting with people. Um, but that's one way is just, you know, we love having conversations around coffee um, we think it's a very, we think coffee is a very social product. Um, unfortunately in specialty coffee, some people can feel kind of turned off. Like it's a bit inclusive or, you know, you're being judged cause you're not drinking the right coffee or, you know, things like that happen. And that's, you know, we've always thought that, um, we wanted people to feel more included and we wanted there to be more community around it. Um, and so we do connect with, um, coffee shops and, you know, we try and work with people that do that as well. Um, and if you can get, you know, you can get your coffee served at a, a place that you really respect and they do a great job with your products, you just hope that somebody on the other side has that experience that you had at some point. Um, and it doesn't have to be this, you know, blow your mind, like I'm never going back experience. It can just be, wow, this is really different. I didn't know that, you know, it's, um, this tastes very unexpected, kind of like, you know, craft beer or wine or a lot of different things like that or food, you know you can kind of have that experience where you just taste something or understand something a little differently and it just interests you. So, you know, we try and do it as much as we can, even online talking about where we're getting the beans from and, and how they taste. Hopefully there's other places that are interacting with our, our coffee as well. It's being served at a place that somebody does interact with it and you can't always control those interactions. Um, I think hopefully, you know, one thing we've, we've, that's part of the reason we focus so much on roasting and roasting at a high level and buying beans that we are in love with is, you know, for us, the product really has to speak for itself. Um, if somebody buys our product for the first time and they just think this is no different, then they're probably not going to come back. And we don't always have a lot of control over that. So we've spent just a ton of time, you know, nitpicking our roasting to the point that, um, you know, we've thought about it, you know, every day since we opened because we know that it's really important. And, you know, if someone's going to pay that price, um, the quality and the experience needs to represent what they just paid and, and hopefully that person does have that experience and they come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, for anyone out there that is selling a more premium product, I think what you touched on the the key thing, which is around education, right, around teaching people either through your own website, through your blog, or through social media, like you're saying, interacting with people and being inclusive so that they can learn more about why is it worth you know paying more for it. And the second thing, which is about getting your product out into the real world where your customers 
already are so they can at least try for the first time because that's like the like you're saying the best way to win a customer over is just get them to try using it and then they'll see the value in it way better than you know words can describe um, but one thing I did notice on your your site is that you have very at least um, compared to other products very detailed other other I guess industries very detailed product descriptions like for your coffee uh, the beans you, you mentioned things like the elevation the the region it's from the process that that you use how did you know that these were things that people, these are details that your customers cared about? Well, you know, that's part of the thing I learned over time was just, you know, those were things I started to understand as I was home roasting and started to look at. And um, there's a lot of information. I mean, it's it's agriculture. And so I don't know everything, but I, I do know, you know, now I know what to look for. Um, but I know what I look for and what I did look for um, and what I started to look for back when I was buying specialty coffee. And you know, those details, if you go to a website like ours or you pick up our bag off of the shelf, a lot of people don't care about that, but there are some people that know exactly what they're looking for. Um, and they want an Ethiopian that's washed process that was grown at 2000 meters. And when they pick that up, they understand what that means. Um, and that's, you know, with specialty, you get people that are intensely passionate about the product, the product you're selling. Um, and so you know that certain people won't care and a lot of people, they instantly recognize that and understand that and putting those details on there, you know, helps other people to understand we are looking at those things. We do understand what they mean. Um, and that's kind of how we pick our beans and make the product selection. Mm. Yeah. I guess for, for you, it was that you were just looking at things that, or you included things that you had questions about that you wanted to learn more about. I think for anyone else out there that is trying to figure out how to, to craft the product description. It's the same process. You know, look at what people are already asking about, what people are already talking about, um, and, and include that in your product descriptions because they're actively asking for more information about a specific, uh, you know, feature in the, in the product. Uh, and to make sure you include that in your product descriptions is a great way to to figure out how, what to include and what what you what you should include. Yeah, I was just to say, you know, I think a lot of times when you're making a product, you you assume that everybody understands what you're doing, but um, I think social media has helped us in a lot of ways and, and really, you know, smart companies on social media will bring people into the process, especially if it's a really good process, help them understand, you know, whatever it is, this jacket wasn't made the way you think it was made. It was actually, you know, this hands-on whatever experience. And, and sometimes that can be something that changes somebody's mind. If you're doing something really well, if you're creating a product that you, you know, is, is, is at a high level, it's a premium product you know, bringing people in on that, helping them understand why it's premium. And then, you know, even what does the process look like can, you know, help people get there. And a lot of times, you know, you just have to remember that people don't know everything that you do. They don't know much about what you do. So trying to, to shine light on that as much as you can, uh, can be really important for your brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to talk about this, um, strategy that you, that you mentioned in the pre-interview, which is about, uh, I think it, it ties really nicely into your the way that you try to get your products out in front of your in front of your customers and to the places in the real world where they are already at. So you said that you send coffee to businesses that might be interested in the coffee and reaching out to them. Tell us about this process. Like, what are you are you sending coffee to businesses that you want uh, to uh, to to buy from you, or are you looking to send it to businesses so they can give it out to their customers? Or what's the thought process behind this? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of different places. Um, we try and be really selective um, and we try and be really respectful. You know, one thing you don't want to do is just bug someone incessantly um, about your product. So we we do a lot of research on um, who are, first of all, who are, you know, businesses we really respect and we'd love to partner with them. And second of all, who are just people that, you know, for us might be tasting coffee. They do a really good job on, let's say, Instagram, talking about what they like. Um, taking really nice photos. So there are people that, you know, can kind of speak for your product because it's hard for you to say those things about your own product. Mm -hmm. So it's always good to get people that other people trust to say, yeah, these guys are doing a good job. Um, So those are the two things we look for. And um, we kind of have specific things for each. Um, And um, over the years, you know, we've kind of just recognized really quality companies, really quality brands, um, really quality people on maybe social media that, would love to taste, you know, two bags of our coffee and we'll reach out and say, Hey, can we send some of this along? And, you know, no strings attached. 
you know, sometimes they'll write something about us. Sometimes they won't, but we try and keep it really relaxed. Um, and just look for people we really respect. Um, you know, we believe in our product and, you know, when we send it their way, you know, they'll be able to taste it and kind of decide for themselves. And do you ever follow up with them after that you've sent it out? And what would you say? Yeah, I think for us, you know, we don't, we don't always follow up. Sometimes we do. Um, sometimes, um, if we think it's not too invasive, it's always, you know, like I said, we, we, uh, have a high level focus on our roasting. So feedback for us is huge. Um, if you can get somebody that whatever, maybe they, maybe they even have some critique for you, you know, critique can be extremely valuable, um, in understanding, um, every little, first of all, good thing about your product and everything about your product that you need to work on, you know, in roasting, it's, it's a never ending pursuit. And for us, I don't think we'll ever get there. I think that's the point of it is you, you always are striving for kind of this unattainable, perfect thing. Um, and so, you know, sometimes we'll follow up with folks and just say, Hey, you know, or, or sometimes we'll say in the beginning, Hey, you know, hope you enjoy the coffee. We'd love to know what you think. Um, and sometimes people will, um, give us their opinion and, you know, good, good things are nice to hear, but also we, you know, we take critique and we, you know, you try and take that and learn as much as you can from it. Cause that information is incredibly valuable. I think some of the best businesses out there are the ones that <laughs> are not so offended that they just ignore the critique and get angry. They're the ones that take that advice, you know, treat it like gold. Um, over the course of years and years, they turn their product into something really special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and your your product, I think one of the great things about the, the I guess, industry that you're in is that you're selling a consumable product, meaning that people need to constantly buy, you know, coffee beans. So, and I see here on your site that you have a six-month coffee sub- subscription. How did you, did you launch with this subscription plan off the bat or did you add it in later? Um, we added it in a bit later. I think it was something that people said, you know, it is a, a convenience thing if, if um, and that's something we've actually talked about adding to. I think we'd like to build that out. Um, I know there's an app you've talked about. We've looked at different apps on Shopify to help with that. Um, I know you've talked about the bold app before um, as a way to kind of include that, especially if you have a Shopify site. Um, but for us, you know, some people say, I really love your coffee, but I'm not going to remember to get on and, and order it every two weeks or every month or whatever it is. Um, I'd love to be able to just, you know, make the purchase and then have it delivered without thinking about it. Um, and so if you can, have a process like that and kind of cut out something that um, somebody has to remember or, you know, give somebody that option. It's a really great way um, kind of deliver your product and they actually appreciate it as well. And do you try to upsell this to customers? Like how do you introduce uh, customers to the subscription plan? Well, I think it's just kind of there, you know, a lot of times when we interact with people, um, at, you know, festivals or things like that or little events we do, um, people will ask that question. Um, and there's been a lot of people, you know, once they understand our brand, um, they have continued purchasing and it's just a really easy way for them. Um, when you click on it, there's a little description there, but we, you know, we don't promote it too much other than if somebody's looking for that option, usually they can find it. Um, and it, it's pretty straightforward and, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, and so we've, yeah, we just had a number of people find it that way. And, and like I said, I think it's something that, um, we're going to continue to do in the future and, um, I think there's a lot of creative things we could do with that too, that, um, we'll keep thinking through. So, mm-hmm. and I want to talk a little bit about your supply chain because you mentioned before how labor intensive, intensive it is. And obviously it's, uh, uh, a lot of, um, you know, focus on quality. So how do you, how do you ensure quality control when you are involved in an industry like this, where, uh, quality is so important and, you know, it does, it has direct impact on the product. Yeah, you know, you can't control everything, uh, but for us, the process we decided on early on, and this is something that, you know, most specialty roasters do, um, but it was, we're going to roast on a certain day, which currently is Monday, um, and if you put an order in, we're going to roast it fresh for you and ship it out, um, meaning that we don't have any inventory already sitting there. Um, so as orders come in throughout the week, we roast um, and then send it out, and you can be guaranteed um, when you get the product, it's going to be incredibly fresh. Um, and, you know, for us in coffee and specialty coffee, you know, there's a window there that of course you can drink it after six months if you want to, but 
ideally, if you're spending that much on the product, I think you care about the way it tastes. Um, you might be a little picky about freshness and things like that. So, you know, uh, we wanted to ensure that if someone wanted it fresh, they were going to get it fresh. Um, and oftentimes we say, you know, it usually tastes best in the first two to three weeks. Um, and then it still tastes good after that. But if you're really concerned about freshness, like we are, some people aren't, but if you are like we are, then we're going to ensure that, you know, you're going to get the coffee, you know, depending where you live, you know, two to three days after it was roasted and it'll be incredibly fresh every time. And then, you know, these are things you have to think through with retail establishments. Um, you know, we've got a place locally called foods for living. It's a great like health food store. Um, and they've been extremely diligent about trying to order coffee and keep it fresh on the shelf, which is incredibly difficult. Um, but you can build those relationships. Um, they're willing to do it and they've been really, um, really great about it. Um, and I think people know now when they go in there that usually the coffee is pretty fresh um, and they're kind of known for that. So you can try and build relationships that way. It's not always easy. Um, shipping coffee uh, fresh is certainly not as easy as, you know, uh, coffee that's a couple months old, like it, it probably normally would be um, at a normal grocery store. But to us, it's a big deal. Um, and so we, we kind of had to build that into a process. Um, it makes a lot of sense and it, it keeps the product. Um, we know kind of exactly when people are going to, you know, taste it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because you are running this store, you know, essentially part-time, I'm assuming that you rely a lot on automation to help run, keep this running smoothly. Can you talk a little about the maybe apps or tools that you use to help run the business? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, um, our business is pretty straightforward. So I think, um, depending on what business you have, there are, you know, one thing we've discovered about Shopify, there is a, a massive amount of apps out there. You can do anything you want, basically. Um, so we don't use a ton. Like I, I mentioned before, we've looked at um, even like subscription apps. You can do like Bold App. Um, something like that allows you to automate the process even further, possibly offer an additional option on a sales page. Um, one thing we've used is, you know, ShipStation, which integrates with Shopify. Um, it was important to us and we were thrilled to learn that with sensation and then certain apps, um, you can really integrate the process from the moment somebody um, buys your product until the moment they receive it. Um, and so that, that kind of flows through to ShipStation. We obviously make sure um, all the orders come through and all, it also coordinates with um, United States Postal Service. Um, we do priority shipping. Um, and then we're, you know, so it kind of from the, the moment somebody purchases it, they also get a confirmation, uh, which I believe is a ship station feature. Um, but those are just, you know, those are just a few. There are, there are so many options depending on what you're trying to do. Um, automation is huge. And, you know, for us, it was when somebody makes a purchase, we want to guarantee every time that they have a really good customer experience. And so that was, you know, here's, Here's when your coffee is being shipped. You know they would get, I think, a shipping code, um, and then the, the coffee would arrive as they expected every time. Um, and that's really important because you know no matter what product you're selling, you know one bad customer experience because we forgot to ship it or it didn't come on time or any of the number of things that can happen. We want to make sure that customers just never had a bad experience with our product. Um, and so as many things that you can do using these apps, you can. Uh, and building them into ShipStation, uh, I think, helps with those processes and make sure that your customer has a really uh, an experience that they trust every time. They know that they're going to get the product. Um, and I think there's, a, there's definitely a lot of options, a lot of options we haven't even explored that we'll continue to build out in the future. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeremy. So craftandmason.com is the website, C-R-A-C-R-A-F-T-A-N-D-M-A-S-O-N.com. Uh, where, where else should the listeners check out? They want to follow along with what you guys are up to. Um, you know, Craft and Mason, we have, you know, obviously social media. So Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, um, and then our website and everything's, um, you know, Craft and Mason, you know, uh, on all those accounts. Um, it is really a great way to keep up with us. And there's also a, a newsletter sign up on our uh, front page that we will send out, you know, if you are interested in new products and things like that, new coffees, um, and a lot of the information that goes along with that, we try and, um, send out information, um, when it's relevant and when we think people will be interested. So that's a great way to do it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeremy. All right. Thank you, Felix. 
Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.